Welcome to episode 532 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 532 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James. Oh, how you going, mate? I'm pretty good. These early starts are um, a little more challenging, but they're all good. Got to get fired up for 5.33 in the morning. Well, to be honest, this is kind of, I'm normally up at this time anyway, so it's pff, walking the park, John. Yeah. I, I see I see. you're probably going to have to work for another 20 years. Yes, it's looking that way. Based on what I'm seeing on Facebook with, with Jen and Belinda, it looks like they're having a very good time and they're not looking for the cheap options. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're at the US Open last night watching Novak Djokovic smash some dude out of the park. Did they, Have you spoke to her since? No. Oh. There's not a, lot of, not a lot of communication from New York. They're just happy doing what they're doing. <laughs> how are you surviving on the home front? Are my you keeping... kids are awesome. Oh, really? Yeah, my kids are fantastic. Uh-huh. As you'd expect, if you guys know any single parents who work full-time, oh, who life. try to do triathlon... It's not the greatest mix. Maybe go give them a hand. Yep, yep, definitely. It's a pretty full-on life if you're a single parent. Hey, guys, I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And our patrons include who, John? St- Simon, the official marshal. Nice. Melissa. <laughs> nice, that's a good Big, one. <laughs> Bigfoot Uri. Um, Andy, Big Mac McMillan. Penny... P-Bomb Commons and Raymond Grandmaster Panerio. Nice. Okay, guys, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.imtalk.me and that way you can become one of the many patrons who help us do what we do. And for the patrons who are patrons, you guys rock. Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got a great interview, John. Yes, I I caught up with Harry Wiltshire, who uh, won Ironman Vici, uh, the weekend before last and talked to him about that and he also uh, trains quite a bit with the Brownleys so talked to him a little bit about that and uh, and plans for Kona so I actually really enjoyed it it was a, a very interesting interview quite a, quite a switched on dude okay good times did you talk about the Dirty Harry aspect of it? no I didn't and uh, we'll, we'll bring that up when we do the interview okay because um, I kind of feel sorry for him because he, he did one thing when he was like a kid in one race and he's been labelled this thing and so you know it'd be a Kind of an interesting thing to ask him about. But anyway, Coach's Corner, what are you, I see you're doing a study. Well, you're doing a study review. We're going John's study review. This is the next level team. Well, I've got to do a little uh, research project for, for one of my studies. So I'm doing a, a paper, micronutrients. And you kind of choose your topic. You basically had to choose a micronutrient and, and have explain how that impacted some just impacts of that on 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 health and i managed to um, choose the impact of sodium on muscle cramping so that's an area where a lot of us look into and and pop salt tablets and and get really concerned about that and so really looking at the relationship between that and cramping and actually the, the the whole part of the project was to try to find seven research papers on a particular topic and then review them. So um, I've only found sort of three or four good ones on uh, sodium levels versus cramping. And I'm going to explain one of them today. And and, and then over the next couple of weeks, if I find some really good stuff on um, some other papers, then I'll I'll bring them up to your attention as well. Where do you go to find the studies, John? 
you sort of go to library databases and stuff. So it's journal articles and stuff. So it's quite um, sometimes quite hard to actually get the full study. You can find the abstract, but to actually get the full study, um, like I get a lot of them through the through my institution through their their database. Some of them are online though. Okay, Jonbo, so this week's news is news time, and I have to say it's a pretty exciting weekend because we had the World 73.3 Championships in Australia and the Sunshine Coast, and uh, we had some pretty exciting racing, John. It was a pretty good day, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, unfortunately I was out at a soccer tournament all day, so I didn't actually get to see what the live coverage was like, so I'm sure it was I'm sure it was good. They seemed you know to do what, a pretty John? good job. It was pretty good, although it was kind of a little bit like the Olympics, when in the men's race, the most kind of the really exciting bit they did the terrible camera oh move. no <laughs> like because basically what happened was tim reed won it we'll, we'll talk about it in a second and king lee was second and basically king lee attacked reed early and managed to get a bit of a lead on him not much maybe 23 seconds but then on a downhill reed just called him back up and then close to the end reed attacked and he attacked pretty hard and he managed to put a bit of a gap on him now on tv it always is hard to define how much of that gap is but it was enough that king lee wasn't that far behind so it looked like Reed had it, but at the same time, if King Lay could find a bit of kick, you, you know, he was definitely within reach of getting the win. And they, they go down, they, they, there's good coverage, all good coverage, and then they get to the kind of the the finishing shoot was quite long, so it was yeah. probably a couple of hundred meters. Um, they get to the finishing shoot, and then they just leave wait for the third guy to come along. So you think, what's happening? And then they shoot back to the female winner, and then with about one second to go before Reed crosses the finish line, they show you the finish there. And that was a little bit disappointing because it was pretty exciting. And you're like, oh man, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then, unfortunately, yeah. it was a little. It's a bit like the Olympics. At the key moment, they just got the camera work a little bit wrong because the coverage was great, but that yeah. bit was a bit like, oh, because all you wanted to see no. was that sprint, you know? And because Keenley yeah. did chase him like. Well, it looks like on the two seconds at the end that Reed had it, but Keenan yeah. was definitely fighting for it. Yeah. So Danger Duncan Penfold was out there. He said, uh, absolutely perfect, perfect conditions, Fill, uh, flat, still water, coolish temperatures in the low 20 degrees Celsius, uh, not much wind, although the wind did pick up later on. A couple of other comments. He said he was uh, bumped into Jared Shoemaker. His wife is Elisa Kay, um, who was racing. And it sounds like Jared Shoemaker is going along. He's a, a, an ITU athlete. He's had a win on the ITU circuit. So we'll see how he sort of transitions across. He said, he said there was so many people out there racing uh can't speak of any drafting but the race did feel really drawn out some age groupers were still coming in on the bike two and a half hours after the pros had finished but was that uh, because of split start or, or the wave start or was that uh, actually- yeah oh yeah absolutely just just the spread out of the waves so yeah. you know they, they had uh, I, they had about three thousand entrants and from what i could see they had around about 2645 finishes so if you want to try at least to have you know reduce the risk of drafting on the bike you've got to spread that out uh for quite a long time so you've got all day out there i guess they close the roads for the full day so it's a big race um he said the wind picked up later on uh and he said that if um some of the bike racks were falling over and the po- the poles were detaching and sort oh, of really? swinging across the laneways and stuff. So it sounded like they were not uh, ideally um, set up. And he said, I've never seen or perhaps never noticed so many volunteers. A mate of mine was a technical official for the race and he commented also about the increased level of accreditation and officialness of the event. Uh, he said, I love seeing our global this event 
globally the sport has now come to 82 countries represented and everywhere you look there was a flag of a different colour very cool so he said big big event and good to watch in terms of the racing you know you probably saw a bit online Bevan but I, I'm really just looking at the results side of things and um Prize money wise, uh, Tim Reed took it home, takes home $45,000 US, pays 10 deep. Craig Alexander managed to get the last paycheck, $4,500 for 10th place. Uh, looking at the top 10, probably the one name that a lot of people picked for the win or at least to be on the podium was uh, Lionel Sanders. Mm. He only managed to get uh, ninth place after a very dominant season. Uh, top three, you know. Certainly no no surprises. As I said last week, you know, you could have had about another 10 guys going to be on the 10 or 15 guys potentially being on the top three. Tim Reed took it out with a 22-minute 53 swim, uh, 206 on the bike and a, and a 111 run. Sebastian Inlay was uh, about a minute behind the minute, uh, nearly a minute and a half behind the main um, swimmers out of the swim, uh, managed to make that up on the bike riding a 204.45 uh, and then was uh, again a 111 run. Rudy Wild ran a 111 as well and then after that you know, there was about 15 guys that came off the bike and that basically became a running race. So I think Tim Reed coming off that with a group like that, probably no great surprises that he won, but he still had to go out and do the business. But I think perhaps the most impressive thing out of the guys' field is the way that Sebastian Keenlay is running now. Like, he's always been a, a really good runner, amazing biker, and a very good runner. But this is, uh, I think, really taking it to the next level for him. Well, it was a, it did come down to a run race too, because I think, um, if mm. I recall rightly, Tyler Butterfield got off the bike just a little bit in front of everyone else. Yep. And then it was it was pretty much a pack really coming into the into the kind of transition, and yeah, so it was really a run race. And so Keenlay, you know, some of those guys in there you'd think would like a Sanders, and that you'd think would be a much better runner, wouldn't you? Mm, absolutely. So I don't think um, Lionel Sanders was in that group because he ran a one tenth. So he obviously just had a really bad swim. He's a very poor swimmer, but, but obviously um, he just couldn't catch it up because on the bike it, he just rode what everyone else rode really. Mm, he's normally an absolute axe on the bike, uh, yeah. and this time he rode basically the same as everyone else. So um, maybe he had some challenges out there, but he still came back. You know, good on him for for not giving up. Ran a one ten thirty four fastest run sort of the day. So it's obviously just, ran him up from a fair way back. So just on uh, the drafting front on YouTube, there are some clips of the pros. It looked like the pros were really well organised. There wasn't really any drafting. Someone had a clip that was basically showing the pros. And then they showed some age groups, and then some age groups there was definitely some big packs. So Absolutely. yeah, which yeah. which is again always a concern in those world champs. And it was a hard one because they were being quite on this video. They were being quite critical of the packs, and and you can understand that. But it's also one of those situations where, what can you do? Oh yeah, you know when you've got a, it's just a massive numbers thing and and a, and a fairly flat course. So I had a guy that I coached that was racing, and he's a reasonably poor swimmer, and he was riding through and uh, sort of doing his own thing, and then he managed to hook up with another guy, and they were kind of taking turns lapping it out, and he said he just passed people, and one after the other, these perfect people just sort of jumped on their wheel, not intent, not full-on drafting, mm. but just, you know, that increased their effort. And he said after a while they turned around and they had about 20 guys sitting on their wheel basically in, yeah. uh, in a pack, not Peloton, but but closer than legal distance drafting. So, well, the video you know, I saw people, was a Peloton, like it was it was mm, a pack, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's no great surprise. And the only way to really solve it is to just choose ridiculously hard bike courses or um, significantly reduce the size of the fields. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, no easy solutions. I have to say Malulabar was a pretty awesome choice for a venue. It looked like it was a pretty great place to have a race and lots of support. 
absolutely great support great great venue um the course sounded really challenging on the bike and when the hills were in place uh they sounded like they were very steep and really broke things up quite nicely and even some people were having to walk up some of the climbs that were that steep and uh and then the run as well it was a nice challenging run you had a, a bit of a climb not not nothing silly and then plenty of flat so you can get settle in and and an ocean swim so they, they set up a, a fantastic course great venue for families and stuff and and for people that want to travel to australia from far afield it's a, it's a great location so a, a lot of ticks there one unfortunate thing that did happen that's was, way of putting it uh, so I had two guys, uh, I had four guys that I coach or advise at, at the race and two of them managed to get DQ'd for going the wrong way on the bike and they both were, were two of quite a lot. Okay. So the, 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 the course was such that you kind of had a flat section and then you had these sort of two hilly sections where it was kind of two loops and when they did... Um, they had one of the loops and then they kind of did the second one and one went the wrong way and the one went didn't even manage to do the second loop or something like that. It really was, when I was looking at the map, I was confused as hell as to what you were supposed to do and it sounded like on the day the signs um, blew down and nobody kind of realised oh, that the signs okay. blew down. So if you hadn't done a really solid reconnaissance um, then and you weren't 100% sure where to go, it was pretty easy to go the wrong way and quite a lot of people did. So kind of it's really hard to plan for every bloody eventuality but you kind of think if you had the most technical part of the course and if there was any scope for potential confusion that you would just marshal the shit out of it and really ensure that you could do absolutely everything that you can to make sure people didn't go the wrong way you're always still going to get a few people that cock it up but it sounded like there was quite a lot of people and given my statistics of two out of four managed to get it wrong um probably could have pulled their socks up a bit on that front yeah yeah it's unfortunate too because what a like it's funny my, one of my best mates was doing the world cycle champs on the weekend and uh he was doing really well for about 15 categories in the main pack for only about 20 guys to 30 guys in the pack and his bike seat fell down and it's like one of those moments where it just sucks because it's nothing to do with your ability you know it wasn't a bad choice by you it was just like it kind of sucks so unfortunate for those people okay female racer well, holly lawrence came out of nowhere and in some ways so on the bike they let her get away really she managed to go up three minutes on the bike and in some ways i wonder if she had that thing of they didn't really know who she was so they kind of let her get away i wonder oh i doubt it i think she's just smashed the shit out of them wow that's pretty um, impressive three minutes impressive. yeah so i mean um it's often you hear Craig Alexander sort of talking about in Kona when you let someone, uh, when someone like Sibby goes past them and smashes them. It's not like you're letting them go. You just, uh, you can't go any quicker. So I'd be surprised if they, they let her I'm sure she, she was just uh, the better athlete on the day. So she comes from a bit of an ITU background, but certainly was not a, a, a rock star or anything like that. I, I remember the name, but I don't remember any significant results. But that being said, so far this year, she's uh, had big wins at the Escape from Alcatraz and the Vineman 70.3, but I can look through our facebook posts and uh, nobody at all had her in their her in their top three so really was a bit of a boil over um in terms of her taking out the race so she did it in pretty convincing fashion she swam 23 24 mm. rode 219 and the next fastest ride was 221 from mal Halshite, who was already three minutes behind after the swim and then she put in a good steady run of 121 48 and the only person that ran significantly quicker than that was uh was melissa Halshite, and, and none of the others did so she took it out with uh uh, with oodles of time to spare, really, and took home forty-five thousand dollars. So good on her. 
Yeah, just just Reef coming in fourth. Hmm. Do we do we expect that in seventy point three? No, no, we expect her to crush everything she does. So, um, you know, everybody has has their off day and shows she's not unbeatable. So there may be reason for it. You know, normally, you know, she put in a her sort of steady swim and had sort of the equal second best run. You know, ran one twenty one nineteen, which is on par with um, all the other top girls. So we don't expect her to be necessarily running away from girls on the run, but we normally expect her to have a good steady swim be right up there in terms of the run and absolutely kill everybody on the bike so she didn't didn't just didn't ride well so maybe she's just uh, had the heavy period of training maybe she's uh, been smoked from mid-season racing um who knows so i guess we'll, uh, we'll wait to kona to see but i guess it gives people going to kona at least a, uh, a glimmer of hope mm, and heather weirdle came in at third place yeah i think melissa hellshot that's it's amazing that she's come back because when we interviewed her before she was doing kona I think it was 2014, I think we did our interview with her. She was gone for money, and she had these broken ribs that were apparently never going to appear, and it was mm. just going to be pain that she was going to have to live with. So very impressive that she's uh, not only still racing, but you know, second in the world in, in, a, in, a, in a highly quality field. Yeah, it's, it's great when you see that, but when you see athletes who have gone through some adversity and they come back to a high level, Leander Cave raced, wow. Just, mm. Yeah, I've seen it there. Um, and Heather Whittle third. She is a fantastic, consistent performer, and she should be on people's radar again for for Kona for somebody who could be right in the mix for uh, for a podium. And if Daniela Reef isn't on fire, you know, there's no reason why Heather Whittle couldn't win Kona. Yeah, this year's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because we've got two rock stars in the sport who are very dominant. Um, but it is Ironman, and you never know. So, overall, seventy point three world champs have been a pretty, pretty awesome success. Um, a good see in this part of the world too. You know, it's good to see down here, down under, and and good on Australia for putting on a great race because you know they love triathlon over in Australia, and it's good to see they had that opportunity to kind of show their best. So, well done, Australia. Nice work. Okay, John. We also had Ironman UK happening over the weekend. Um, pretty hard to find some results. Ultraman UK. Oh, Ultraman UK. Sorry, Ultraman. Ultraman UK. So we've got a, um, I've got a little race report here from Beth Scholes who took out the race uh, and the female side of things. Oh, great! Oh, that's, that's uh, Juliet. Yeah, from Romeo and Juliet, yeah. on Athlinks. Yeah, and uh, and I think Romeo and Juliet's relationship probably got tested, tested. pretty heavily in this one. <laughs> The width. So this was an Ultraman, which is uh, starts off with a 10k swim and a 90k bike. The swim was two five-kilometer loops. Oh no, five two-kilometer loops in Lake Bala, which is up in uh, uh, in Wales in northern England. So the lake is renowned for being cold and unpredictable. On Friday night, the conditions were near perfect. Small, choppy, but annoying waves and not too cold until about 7k. A few people had an extra layer under the wetsuit, which I would try out again if I uh, if I had another chance. Everybody had neoprene caps i stopped every loop looked for some miso soup and some cliff blocks and i got out in the swim third place pretty frozen had 15 to 20 minutes transition to warm up meanwhile fourth place swimmer got out and got on his bike um one guy dnf'd so there was only six competitors remaining so they only had they had 25 people interested in this race nine signed up and seven made it to the start line so it was not a uh it was not like the 70.3 world champs where they had about 3,000 people racing wow so they have um, on the bike, they have the, the 90, 90 mile bike on day one. After warming up, uh, completely putting 
on heaps of clothes, set out a comfortable place. I knew I had plenty of time to finish and wanted to conserve something for days two and three. Uh, I had bad cramps, could only stomach drinks of Coke and Extreme Endurance Fuel 5. Nice. Uh, and then started off again eating Cliff Bars, etc. She said the other two guys passed me around mile 45, so I think she was in last place out of all the competitors. Nice thing it was they were all at the finish line to welcome and welcome her in. So it sounds like a real uh, sort of family environment. Day two at Ultraman, you have a 170-mile bike ride. What I can say, and, and I looked at a couple of little YouTube sort of um, iPhone clips that they had, the weather, as she said, started out bad and just continually got worse. Oh, what really? This isn't just a little bit of rain. This was horrendous. Sideways rain. Yeah, it was a matter of head down and pedal, pedal, and pedal some more. The rain was relentless, and thank goodness for my support crew, Neil and Gideon, who found a pub with hand dryers. Gideon tried to dry out my jackets while I did a full kit change and felt halfway human again. Neil gave me the two shirts off his back, and I put on both jackets, and off I went into the pouring rain. Uh, at some point, I think around mile 80, one guy came off his bike on the railway tracks and broke his collarbone, so then there were five. I was confident in my ability to finish within 12 hours uh, until about the 145 mile mark. I'd been soaked through for about 10 hours uh, and the run to finish still had plenty of climbs. The wind was picking up uh, and was great when I was behind you, but pretty much stopped you in your tracks or blew you across the road. Otherwise, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of good crew. They got me to the finish with three minutes to spare. Wow. The cutoff was, <laughs> the cutoff was extended for safety reasons, but I still made it. I've been told this was the worst weather they've had in five years, as if 170 miles wasn't bad enough. I ate as much as I could on the bike. Cliff Bar... Um, Builder bars, blocks, chocolate, miso soup, crisps, and then the all-important espresso gels towards the end. Uh, I called them rocket fuel. Once again, everyone and their crew were at the finish line. I used this opportunity to cry like a baby and thank goodness it was all over. Uh, and then day three, they have the double marathon, 52.4 miles run. My crew shrunk by one today, so it was just up to Neil and me to get through it. Uh, I woke up feeling sick like throw up sick, couldn't eat and didn't have any coffee, a sure sign that I'm feeling unwell. I grabbed some rice cakes and headed to the start line, 12 hours to do two marathons, I can do this. I stuck to the X-Endurance Fuel 5 and rice cakes until uh, about mile 20 when I thought maybe I was feeling sick because running 20 miles and I haven't eaten anything. So two Welsh cakes. I think Welsh cakes are those sort of mincy type. Um, yeah, yeah, I just think that, uh, yeah. Um, started feeling better, two more Welsh cakes, and I actually felt okay. From then on, I tried to eat a little bit every time I saw Neil. I was keeping an eye on the time and the way I was feeling and the amount I was walking I was going to come in before 12 hours. The fly in the ointment was Neil urging me to keep jogging because I, if I walked, I wouldn't make the cutoff. My, my brain wasn't working very well, so with the constant reminders to keep running, I kept running and ran 11.18. Uh, Neil had the cutoff time off by 30 minutes. Oh, <laughs> Everyone was at the finish line again to cheer me in. There was a nice ceremony and buffet at the end. By day three, everyone was like a familiar. My Spanish was picking up because there was a few other Spanish people uh, in the race, and everyone gets a little prize. So it's a great, fam a great, great event, uh, family run. 
I don't know why it isn't more popular with the endurance crowd here in the UK. It's a long way. The weather is iffy, but other than that, it's a beautiful part of the world. The run course especially is amazing. It's a hard weekend. The guys at the front were racing, which is uh, a totally different way of doing it rather than completing. Tips for future. That's where people should uh, listen up. Crew, get yourself a couple of very beat-up, uh, supportive friends who can read map and will take care of you. Prepare, prepare for any kind of weather. If you think you have enough kit, throw in some more and pre- um, prepare for any whim of appetite. It's nice to know you've got it if you start to crave it. Swim, swim, swim. Get comfy on your bike, real comfy. Live on your bike and get used to shifting in that saddle. One of the many things I've taken away from this is to eat and train your body to eat and absorb the nutrition and train at the same time of day that your event is. Sounds logical. Um, if sometimes impractical, but I would have worked on this aspect a lot if I'd realised just how important it is. So yeah, eating that volume of food, and you often find this in, in, in Epic Camp and stuff as well, it's really hard if you're not used to that, yeah. just to constantly be slamming the food down. So that was a key takeaway. So well done to Beth Scholes, the Ultraman UK female champion. It is interesting the UK hasn't got more people to that race because we know that A, they love triathlon, and B, that, you know, there's a few nutters in the UK, so you kind of think they would appeal to, you know, if we look at the other ultra-distance races that have happened around the world in the last period of time, you know, Hawaii is obviously the original one, we've added a few other races, they seem to get, you know, it's not obviously an Ironman race or even, you know, a 70.3 race, but they seem to get a few athletes to get that mm. little is interesting, isn't it? It is. Well, there's a few, there is a few other things going on. Like I saw, um, there's a race coming up this weekend called the Brutal, and uh, that's an iron distance race. It's uh, in, a, in a similar part of the country, and they've got a double and a triple there as well. And I think they offer a, uh, they do a decker. They're doing a decker next year as well. So it's not like there is just one, only one event in the UK. There is, uh, there is quite a bit going on, and uh, yeah, so. Good times. Okay, well, what well on Beth? Uh, okay, Jombo, we also had challenged the European Long Course Championships happening. And yep. we had to say that one, John. Guilo Molinari took it out and Julia Geiger. So it was at the Challenge Walshi Kerswinkler uh, race. So that was the European Long Course Champs. And we also had Zoffingen at the mm, weekend. Mm, we got an email. Who was that from, John? That was from Peter Mills, who was over on Epic Camp France, but I also saw a post on Facebook from one of our patrons, Thierry Bessardi. He said, I thought triathlon was hard. Then I did the Zoffingen duathlon. <laughs> wow, what a brilliant and brutal race. I only did the, he only did the short course and finished, uh, finished that one there. Long course is, uh, is a lot longer. And Peter, Peter Mills sent us through a bit of uh, a report there. So uh, Zoffingen, uh, we've said this before, it used to be a, an iconic race. It's still an iconic race, but it used to be in terms of the elites. Yeah. One of the um, top massive. five, wasn't it? I think they had, I think, it was, it was like $150,000 US prize money. And this is back in the... The 90s. And so, so, so if we think of back in the is. day, the, the top five races would have been what? Kona, you would have had um, Escape from yeah. Alcatraz. Yeah, but if you if you look at long course, you would have had Australia or New Zealand were probably the only um, Southern Hemisphere Ironmans. Yep. And then your big European one was Ironman Europe. Yep, which was um, great. And then you probably have Nice and Kona. And then Paralman yeah. was within this kind of context. This got a huge field every year. Like the not, not necessarily the big four would all turn up, but you'd have years where it would be Mark Allen, um, Mike Pig, um, Kenny Souza, Scott Molina. You'd have you know a, some really really stacked fields, and likewise on the girls side of things. And it was it was just a money thing. I mean, it was a cool cool race. So they loved going there. Incredibly tough, but 
I th- yeah, I think it was $150,000 prize purse um, all up, which back in those days was pretty significant. So for those who don't know much about the race, Pete's saying distances are 10K, 150K, 30K. The first 10K is a two laps of a 5K with a 1K climb to start each lap of around a 7% gradient. The bike is three laps of 50K with three climbs. The descent post climbs that are all long and super fast. Road conditions are perfect, about 30k into run, it's two laps of 15k each and it's up and down the whole way. Almost trail run like conditions with not much tarmac. Um, nice buzz and atmosphere around the town, a bucket list race for my mind for triathlete heist historians. So pretty interesting stuff and some kind of facts about it, no Kiwis have ever won it. Put the boot in there, Molina won it in 1991 and I'm Pretty sure that that Erin won it the same year as well. Um, so Kiwi has won it. A Kiwi female, no oh, males. Oh, okay. Yeah, Olivia Bernard, who's a Swiss legend. I should actually get him on uh, the Legends podcast. Eight-time winner. Wow. Uh, five-time five Kiwi female winners. So we have done very well on the mm. Kiwi females. Erin Baker's won it twice. Debbie Nelson, who's from Christchurch, uh, won it. Fiona. Come Dockney. to my classes. I know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and. Burke, uh, what's what's Burke's first name? She won a few years ago. I can't actually Mrs. remember. Yeah, Mrs. Burke, <laughs> Miss, I think it is. And uh, Erica Chomores won it seven times in a row from 2004 to 2010. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Course record uh, varies a little bit because they sometimes change the distances for for ITU stuff. Yori Van Stellent, uh, course record is 607, and Emma Pooley, uh, 647 for the female side. This year, um, Emma Pooley took it out again in 706, and Alden Seppi took it out in 623. This year it was the ITU long, uh, long course duathlon world champs. I saw old Rob Dallymore, who we've had on the show a few times, was over there as well racing for ITU Worlds. Apparently Natasha Badman uh, is hinting that this might be her last season racing as she turns 50 in December, but she's still racing in the pro divisions. Oh, Peter Mills, he is officially second fastest long course duathlete in the world, taking second in the 50 to 54 place. Had a bit of an iron war out there. So it's a tough race, a bucket list race. Don't come expecting rote crowds because they aren't here. That being said, the locals get behind it and the finish area is top notch. Yeah, good stuff. So if you are looking to do something a little bit different and it's, just one of those experience races, isn't it? You, you, you oh, know, yeah. You know, like just and and also a, a different kind of feel for us triathletes because to do that run a hard ten k first, it's mm. it's a totally different experience. Like imagine doing that and then have to do thirty k at the end of it. Like you're gonna be beaten up. So mm. it, it really would just be a battle for survival at the end. So awesome stuff, guys. For those who did something on the weekend, <laughs> okay, John. I John's ITU update. Edmonton happened. Girls, America's killing. I, I um. I actually watched both races in full. So this was a sprint distance oh, cool. race. Uh, I had my laptop sitting here yesterday morning because it was actually live coverage. And uh, as I was working away, I was sort of keeping keeping an eye on it. Uh, as I mentioned last week, the weather in Edmonton was going to be pretty iffy and it was pretty cold. It didn't rain at all, but it was pretty uh, pretty fresh by the look of it. I think the, the water, they all had their neoprene hats on in the swim. Uh, and I think it was, you know, it was like, 10 to 10 to 15 degrees centigrade on the bike um so it was not warm we had a bit of a bloody boil over in the females race and it was uh it was entertaining to watch so what look do you out mean? for this look out for this name summer cook she now, the it up. look out look out for this name she took out the race and uh did it in very impressive fashion so she was um right up there coming out of the swim and then there was a breakaway on the bike of i'm gonna say maybe about 10 athletes and this chick, Summer Cook, 
is clearly taking the mantle of the worst cycling skills in oh, really? Chuckles Triathlon. I'm not being mean. It's just she was she was sitting on the back of the group, and whenever they came to a U-turn, they basically had to sprint course. I'm not sure how many laps they did, but they had U-turns every lap, and uh, every time she would just get popped off the back, and it would be a good 10 meter, 10 to 20 meters, and she'd clawed her way back. So she was clearly very strong on the bike, but just had woeful bike handling skills. Uh, it's kind of crazy because how do you think you get to that level? Well, this is where the Americans have got so good now is they've got this uh, talent ID program in the states. And they're going oh, around the colleges. Okay, just grabbing people going, from other sports. You can swim. You can run. I don't care if you can't bike. We can teach you that. And uh, so I'm not trying to be nasty to her. It's just a fact. She's got shit bike handling skills, but that's probably because she's hardly she's only probably yeah. been riding a bike for a couple of years. And it's an easy uh, skill to develop. You know, you do pick it up in a few years if if you you know can focus on it. Yeah, so she, she's obviously strong as an ox because she was just getting popped off the back the whole time, riding her way back in and just getting back on. And she'd get back on and then there'd be another turn and she'd get popped off again. So she'd be so not she, to win it. So she had to do a lot of work. And then step number two is she had a woeful transition. <laughs> it's like pitiful. <laughs> uh, and... And so the, the second group was, I think they were like 30 seconds behind. And uh, and so she came out of T2, I think it was 13 seconds behind the leader, having come off the bike with him. So she lost sort of 15, you know, wow. nearly 15 seconds in transition. And, and so that's point number two. And to cap it all off, she looked like an absolute plonker because she was wearing a full full suit compression basically with a pair of swim togs over the top so she had full length run tights on oh really and she had a full top on because the year before and she said after the race she'd dnf with hypothermia because it was so cold the year before so obviously smart enough to think i'm going to do something about this because otherwise i'm going to freeze again so for warmth she had full lengths full arms i've never seen that in a triathlon before let alone for someone then to actually go on and win the race so clever thinking looked very odd uh, having someone in full black outfit with togs over the top but she came back from 15 seconds down or so off the bike and just slowly worked through and with, at the final turn she passed um, Sarah True and took it out So, and it was a, a US trifecta um, which apparently was the third time in two years one of the girls said, uh, Katie Zavera said on the prior, uh, in the post-interview, third time in two years that she's been on, a, on the podium in, in a US clean sweep. So the Yanks are doing it correctly. Yeah, I was just looking at the photo here. On, I've just gone on to Google and had a look at the photo of her with the full outfit on. Yeah, she, mm. she looks slightly out of place, John. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Slightly out but of place. Full credit to her for taking it. Yeah. It was a good. It was a quality field, and and she beat them all. So good on her. Uh, I do I have also noticed at the Olympics and this race that a lot of athletes now are wearing. Well, no, all athletes look like they're required to wear timing chips on both ankles, which is kind of interesting. Now, do we think that's just a backup, or do we think that gives them better information? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe one's a timing chip, and one's maybe more of a uh, a um, GPS. Maybe yeah, GPS or something like that. Mm. So Jonathan Bradley so, dominated. Absolutely. There was a three-man breakaway on the bike. They only got 12, uh, 12 to 15 seconds, and it kind of stayed like that, so they had to work their asses off all the way through the bike, and Jonathan right. Brownlee was, was one of those three. So you kind of think, oh, it's only 10 seconds, and by the end I think it might have only been seven coming off the bike, but that was enough for him. He still went off and crushed the crushed the run, having uh, having led for most of the bike as well, so he absolutely killed it. Okay, so we also, this weekend we've got a couple of races coming up, and we've got Ironman Wisconsin, which is one of our female pro-only races within the year, and it's good field. 
Yep, I got uh, Elizabeth Lyles, Amanda Stevens, Darby Roberts, and uh, and then you've got about a couple couple others. So it's it's not massive. You probably got about fifteen or so on the on the start list. But as to be expected, you know, um, thirty five the top thirty five women are all off to to Kona. So um, good opportunity for these girls to pick up a bit of prize money and for the for you know, this is a really good opportunity for the up and coming athletes to start you know accruing some points for for Kona for next year. Yep, and also we've got Ironman Weymouth coming up. This is a no-pro race, so for all those age groupers out there doing this race this weekend, good luck to you people, and absolutely smack the crap out of it. Just other races on the calendar, John? Got the Spirit in Montreal and Canada, got Challenge Almera, the Brutal that I mentioned about uh, previously that's in Chambéris in Wales, uh, and they've got a, a single, a double, a uh, a triple, and then I think next, uh, maybe they haven't got a triple this year. Um, they've got the Iron Basque in France, the Capital Man in the United States, the Evergreen Endurance in France, and then we've got the Rev 3 in Cedar Point, the States. In a couple of weeks' time coming up, which we need to keep on our radar, we've got the ITU Long Distance World Champs in America. Good times, rock and roll case. John, sponsor! And I think we're talking about Athlinks, and we're going to go look at Ironman Wisconsin. Yes, we are. So uh, what you can do on Athletics, you can go in there and put on your predicted time. So old Michael Pichet from Madison, Wisconsin, he's uh, hasn't got a predicted time in there, but Dustin Schmidt's going to reckon he's going to do 11 hours. David Vilmain reckons 12 hours 30. Uh, Robert Groner, 11 hours. David Shand, 11 hours. And good old Patrick Smith from Mercutio. Wisconsin, I think it is, uh, going sub 11, 10 hours, 49. And finally, Rachel Crowboer going 14 hours. So, guys, if you want to get on there, um, put in your predicted times, um, go to athlinks.com, lay a bit of SmackDown talk, and show people what you're going to be made of. I think one thing with Wisconsin last year is where we had a bit of controversy is we had uh, Thomas Gerlach take out the race, and he was a male pro racing in an age group race so he went yeah, off there and did that and uh he got a lot of stick about that didn't he and, he, and the funny thing about it was that he was pretty upset that he got no love and mm. the world turned on him pretty quickly yeah <laughs> kind of a funny one though you know well, um, i thought it was a bit naive of him i thought it was a bit naive of him to think that he'd be getting a lot of love in that situation mm. you know like he was a pro yeah i think we've probably discussed this last year what if they had iron man christchurch and you, if say, say you'd race pro somewhere, Bevan, and, and that would basically mean you weren't allowed to start Ironman Christchurch. It's like, oh. I mean, you, you, there's no prize money, so you're not going to get any prize money. But uh, what if you had like ten local amazing sponsors, and they're going, it's, it's why, hard why, one, you, why it? are you but, racing? But, but but at the same time, it's not in the spirit of the event because the, the problem. I kind of get it's, it is a difficult one because I kind of get what you're saying here. You know, let's say back in mm. the day, I was, you know, let's say I could have easily won a Christchurch race, and I was the local pro. But the spirit of the race is an age group race. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm just basically going along, kind of guaranteeing I'm going to win just so I get a photo op to so, so I look good. And mm. and maybe my better use of that race is to get in behind the age groupers and be a big kind of figurehead for the race in mm. that way and actually kind of support the sport and, you know, instead of just showing how good I am, actually get out there and kind of being there on the day to support triathlon in my community. So, mm. you know, because... I don't know. It was, it was definitely very controversial at the time. Mm. Just going back to Dustin, I'm just looking at Dustin Schmidt here, Schmidt here, and uh, he's going for 11 hours, and it's nice looking at his Ironman career, and it's what you can do on Athlinks. Ironman Louisville in 2014, he did 14-11, and then Ironman Maryland, he did 
uh, and this is in 15, he did 12.15, so he took two hours off that time, and this Wish. time he's going for 11 hours, I think he said in his Athlinks kind of predictions, so he's doing an Ironman, he's doing an Ironman journey, probably working slowly towards that bigger goal of maybe one day getting to Kona, so good luck, Dustin. Awesome, and top bar mail last year on Athlinks was Edward Schmidt in 9 hours 26 57 he was third place overall so it's one thing you can do on athlinks.com if you want to if you've got a race coming up you can put in there that you're going to do your race you can put your predicted time in there which in some ways can be a real motivator for people because if you know that you've put that out there to the world you know in that moment in the race where maybe you can push on through and maybe you can give up it might be that things just helps to trigger that next level for you so don't be afraid to put it out there on athlinks athlinks.com john if you haven't done it do it Okay, nice. last, week's, last week's predictions, we wanted to know, or discussion was, we wanted to know who you thought were going to be the top three, both male and female athletes, in the World Championship 70.3s happening in Malulabar, and nobody picked them all, John. And certainly nobody had um, <coughs> Holly Lawrence in their top three from, from what I could see. So that was a real boil over. So nobody got the girls. On the guys' side of things, uh, Adam Fox uh, predicted Tim Reed, Keenlay and Sanders, uh, and Reef Halshite and Stephens. So got a couple right there. Got the got the male, the male winner. Not many people picked Tim Reed. Most people are going for Lionel Sanders or, or, or Keenlay. Uh, Nick Brewer also got it right on the guys' side of things. He went Reed, Sanders, Keenlay, and on the girls' side, he went Halshite. Reef and Luxford so yeah there's a lot of people not getting it right and that's that I guess that's kind of a um, cool thing you know a lot of people got pretty close um, in terms of uh, some of the names but I guess that's a cool thing is uh, is a bit it's a bit unpredictable which makes it exciting to watch did you say Mike Thomas because Mike Thomas picked old Timbo and Seb and he got Corey in third but well done Mike you know it's pretty good well done Mike yeah Um, interesting interesting to, uh, on Facebook, John, you put a post up about how fast you've biked and it showed this clip on a woman on CBS somewhere in America in San Diego doing some drafting behind a car, showing top speed. I think she was saying she's going up to trying to get up to 150 miles per hour on a bike. It's mental. <laughs> it's mental. There's no room for error. No. Wow. So she's going for a She's going for the female world record, but she's also trying to go for the uh, overall world record. And yeah, it looks like you get dragged up to a certain speed behind a car. You kind of get um, attached to it, and then you get let loose. So you don't have to ride up that speed, but there must be some rules around uh, how long you've got to sustain it. And you have a specially designed bike and stuff. It looks uh, it looks stupid. <laughs> but, uh, if you come off, it's game over, isn't it? Like there's no oh, protection you, on a bike. You'd, well, I kind of wonder if it'd be a bit like the motorcyclists. Um, no barriers, you'd not be. You put no barriers, you'd probably just skid along the road. You'd beat the crap out of yourself, but there wouldn't be that Ooh! really heavy impact in terms of you'd break a lot, but and you'd lose like a lot of skin. You wouldn't like bang into a wall and because it doesn't yeah. look like she's wearing a leather outfit. Oh, oh John, yeah. why? So, um, why would you yeah, do that? I did put a post up there. It's Richard Kingswood said he got up to 110 kilometres per hour on Christmas Day, riding from Thames to Fittianga. 110, that's pretty quick. That's flying. Barry, Barry Breffel reckons he got up to 100 k's an hour chasing Chris McDonald back down from Boulder on the Switzerland Trail on, a, on an endurance corner camp. Ben um, Newbold, 74.8 miles per hour. I don't know what that is in kilometres, but that's bloody fast. Yeah. I'm Anson George, uh, 2010. Never again going that fast. Life flashed before my eyes. Travis Trav- Flanagan's got what a load of bollocks. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, th- this week, um, 
I was interested to know people's thoughts, not just if you went to the 70.3 Worlds, but also if you observed it. Um, do you like the direction the 70.3 Worlds is heading with lots of slots all over the world, lots of participants, and, and they are moving. I'm not sure if it's next year, but I think it is, is to a two-day format where it's going to be even more spread out, and so they're going to have even more numbers. So the 70.3s are exploding all over the world. We've talked about China, and I think there's now five in China, and that's just a, a small example of, of 70.3s popping up all over the place. So there's going to be slots everywhere. So, so um, just next year, do you, I'm not sure if we'll know this yet, but are there going to be more slots so it doesn't become a 4,000 people race because of the fact they're doing it over two days? I'm sure it will do. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a key, it's a main reason for doing that is so they can maximise the number of people there. It's going to limit where you can have this race, I would imagine. It's going to need to be at fairly big venues with plenty of accommodation. So, and we hope, like you know, the, the, we hope that it does, like with the drafting, we hope that it doesn't affect the drafting. It's a good thing for drafting, but yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. We'll so, we'll do, do you like the direction they're going in? And, and, uh, or would you rather see it as a bit more elite so smaller fields you know maybe a maximum of 2,000 people where it's really challenging to qualify so do you like the direction or would you like to see it as a smaller race and really difficult to qualify because what you do see at a lot of races is a 70.3 slots roll an awfully long way if not all the way through some age groups Um, it definitely doesn't have the prestige of a Kona slot you know like mm. those get grabbed pretty quick okay John we've got an interview of Harry Wilshire up up right now Um, John caught up from a few days ago so here it is right now Okay, guys, we've got uh, a name a lot of people may not be overly familiar with. If you're from the UK, you probably are, but if you're anywhere else in the world, possibly not. But maybe you should be because uh, recently at Ironman Vici, we had another British winner taking it out in a course record time. Um, His name's Harry Wiltshire. He's also had a third in Malaysia in 2015, a second in Japan. Um, So we'll find out a bit more about Harry and, uh, and the plans ahead. So welcome along to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, before we get into sort of discussing Ironman side of things and, and where you're at, uh, it continues to baffle me and the rest of the world as to how you POMs can keep producing uh, you know, athletes of a very, very high standard, not just in triathlon, but across the board. And, and you're someone who I think has been through sort of the pathway and you're associated with um, the Brownleys and, and what have you. So what's your sort of go on on why you guys are producing so many athletes? Uh, it's not an easy answer. Um, so I've trained with, I was based in Bath when I started university in 2002 and Simon Lessing was in the pool when I turned up. Um, and it was kind of the first time they tried to put together a British high performance center. Um, 2004, I went and was sort of training partner for Andrew Johns, who was meant to be our, our shot for the, for the gold medal in Athens. Um, and then I've been with Brownleys over the last kind of six years. So I've seen sort of each of the different setups and they've definitely got more professional. Um, it's been more budget. People have learned. Athletes have, have had longer in a system to develop. Um, and then you get some physiological freaks come along. So mm. I guess it's a it's a meeting of a program that's been well put, well put together, um, a shed load of support and athletes who are phenomenal. It, a lot of people are saying, you know, you guys have thrown a lot of money at a lot of sports um, before before London and carried it on. Is, is that a big part of it? Not just throwing money at it, but throwing money in the right places? 
see, I spent three years with Brett Sutton, um, and he always used to give us these talks of if I've got one motivated athlete in a green swimming pool with no running track in the middle of nowhere, I'll still make them a champion. Yeah. And I think that's true. You know, if you've got a motivated, good athlete and a coach who knows what they're doing, you're still going to get a champion. Yeah. But British triathlon's got a seven and a half million pound budget over the next Olympic cycle. That's got to help. Exactly. And um, maybe just contrast what the Brownleys are like compared to, to, to Lessing and, and some of the other setups you've been in. They're obviously incredibly talented, but is there, what, else is it, what, is, what else about them makes them um, the best in the world? Wow. Um, what's the answer to this? So, like, there are different, different sides to a person. So like, if I go to a job interview, I'm the same person that I am when I'm talking to you, but it's a different side of me that I'm putting across. Yeah. And when I'm out with my mates in the evening, there's a different side to me that I put across to when I'm in a triathlon. Yeah. Um, I've not met someone who's at world-class level who can't be absolutely frigging ruthless and just hammer stuff and get it done to an nth degree and simon lessing was like that um you know i was a 18 year old walking on poolside and he just absolutely hammered me like i was the bottom of the pile and i didn't like the guy he was just i thought rude and offensive and arrogant and the best in the world now i'm sure there's a way you could look at alan john and see that but they're also two of my best friends. And when we go to the pub in the evening or when we're having a spin on the bike, they're the nicest guys in the world. But you put them in a bike pack to win a race and they are ruthless killers. Yeah. Oh, very good. Now, um, I, I want to get on to, to, to stuff about yourself in just one second, but I have got one other question about Alistair because people keep asking me this. Do you think he would make it at Ironman? You know, he, he's an absolute hammerhead by the look of it and he does look like he's a bit injury prone, especially over the last sort of few years. Do you think he's got the right temperament to, he's clearly got the talent to do well at pretty anything he does, but has he got the right temperament to make it at Ironman? Yeah, I think we'll find out in the fairly near future. I know he's talking about... Um, well, I think he's going to Beijing next weekend to do a non-drafting race. Um, mm. And then I think over over next season, he'll probably step up and do some 70.3s. Um, yeah, I mean, talent's, talent's the main thing, and he's got bucket loads of that, mm. and he's clever. Um, I think he'll need to be a bit sensible about how he races. Mm. Um, he, could be, he could be tempted to turn up to his first race, get in the swim and go, really, is this how fast you go? I'm off. <laughs> and then, then he's got, I guess just under eight hours on his own hammering it and if he wants to prove it in his first race that that could be a bit messy because he could blow his doors off but if he um if he goes to a couple of small races ticks off his points you know he can do his training sessions i was running along in vici thinking i've done sunday runs with al that have been faster than this he'd be shaking his head now (laughs) um so that's not a problem with the qualifying and then when he gets there yeah i mean the guy the guy's capable of getting off a bike and running a 230 marathon exactly um and he breaks when he's trying to run 230 k's yeah. he doesn't have to do that for iron man he's actually he's good on his miles his miles are no problem so i think if he steps up and and he doesn't have to get on the track and start running 60 second 400s he's not going to have too big an injury problem yeah oh, exciting times ahead so in, in terms of your career though you know you had um a fairly long career doing short course stuff you know you, you raced as you said sort of through a junior rocked up with simon lessing when you're 18 what was the, the motivator for you to, to to make the step of going long i wasn't good enough um mm. 
I mean, I tried to train up to 2012. I sort of got to about, got to 2006, won the World Student Games, um, was training with Brett Sutton, got to the end of that season, did a French Grand Prix and had a sprint finish with Tim Don, and was thinking, you know, I'm in the mix with these boys. Give me a couple more years. I could be up there. Olympics is a possibility. Maybe I can make it. And Brett sat me down at the end of that season in the in the swimming pool changing rooms at the end of the session. He said, Harry, you're a clever lad and you're not that good an athlete. You're not going to win an Olympic medal. My squad's for people who are going to win Olympic medals. I suggest you go home and get a job. Mm. I was like, nah, I'm kind of enjoying this and I think I can be good at it. I don't want to do that. He said, well, if you're not going to get a job, you're going home anyway because you're not training with my squad until you're at that level. If you can run a 1435K, you come back and we'll get you to go to the Olympics. So I went away for two years and I did a bit of work and I did a lot of running. I was running kind of hundred miles a week and just trying to work on it. And I ran a 15 minute 5k and the only thing Brett was wrong about wasn't going to take a 14, 25k for London. It was going to take a 14 minute 5k for a podium in London. So I just wasn't physiologically good enough. I love racing. It's a great thing to do. I wasn't making any money. I wasn't good enough to go to the Olympics. And then um, 2012 came along and the idea of the domestique came along. So domestique sort of kept me in Olympic distance for another four years. And, and once London and all the stuff around domestiquing and, uh, and London Olympics had, had happened, I couldn't carry on. There was no way for me to make money doing short course. Um, and I was kind of a bit disillusioned with it. You know, I'd had a hassle with 2012 selection. I hadn't gone to the Olympics. I wasn't making any money. I kind of thought... There's nothing more I can do here. So I went back to school and I studied and I kind of headed out for the odd session on the weekend and still had a couple of sponsors commitments to, to do the following season. So I was trying to do a couple of swim lead outs um, and just sort of fell back into it really and did a couple of races and they went all right and finished doing my, my studying and kind of picked up another sponsor and then, yeah, was enjoying the Ironman stuff and was able to look at it and go, I couldn't mix it Olympic distance. There was no way that was ever going to happen. But uh, I can run a 245 marathon. If I get that right, I can do that. And I could ride at 300 watts. So I should, if I be able, if I can put this together, I should be able to do this. So, uh, so that's kind of what happened. You mentioned a bit about the domesticing um, there. And, and I know that leading into London, there was a few countries that were considering doing that. And, and you guys from the top of my head I think it was was it Stuart Hayes I can't remember who actually was your your guy uh, that ended yeah, up getting yeah it was yeah um is that something that's sort of carrying on in ITU I mean it's a bit different when the Brownleys are both going to be in the front pack anyway um but is that something that that does happen now at ITU because from the from the layman sitting on the side of the road you don't really see it happening much at all but is it actually happening inside the race that we can't actually see and is it something that you think is going to emerge yeah, I think if it's if it's a business, which British Triathlon now, like I said, after the Olympics, they've secured a seven and a half million pound budget for the next cycle. Now that's people's jobs. That's coaches who who've got families to support. That's athletes who are getting funding. So it's run as a business. And if you look at the Olympic start line, let's look at South African team. So we've got um, Schumann in the break. He looks like he's running for third place. We've got Murray chasing as hard as he can on the front of the chase pack. Let's say Murray pulls it back so that it's only 45 seconds to the breakaway. Then Mola runs, goes past Schumann and finishes third. 
that's that's cost South Africa an Olympic medal. Mm. So for Great Britain, all of our funding is based on medals. You know, if we lost a medal, it's going to cost us millions of pounds. So from those guys' point of view, why would you send an athlete unless they've got instructions not to race against their teammates? If, if you could send someone to the games who costs you millions of pounds by costing you a medal, you just wouldn't do it. Um, so I think any country who's got a budget and got a system like that, that their funding's dependent on Olympic medals, is thinking about how with three athletes in a team, they maximize their chances of medals. Ah, oh, very interesting. Now that the Ironman journey for you so far, I think I read on your website that um, on debut you managed to win your your first iron distance race. I'm, I'm not sure which it was, whether it was Outlaw or one of the ones you've got got in the UK. But what's the what's the journey been like over the last couple of years? So yeah, Out, Outlaw was my first race. That was um, that was 2012. So I just found out I hadn't made the Olympic team, um, yeah. and I sort of had two choices. I was either sort of getting under my duvet and staying there for the rest of the summer or uh, or doing something else. And uh, one of my sponsors was was supporting the race and said, look, just come along. If you just do the swim, that's all right. Um, and I did the swim in the bike and, and I hadn't been running because I was trying to do the domestic crawl. I hadn't really run for six months. Um, but I was leading by, I think, eight minutes when I got off the bike and just thought, well, I'll keep jogging and see what happens. And no one came past me. So so I kept jogging until uh, maybe 30k, and then then I kind of jog walked in. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean it was it, it wasn't a branded race, and you know there weren't the big guys there, and there wasn't prize money, but it was it was nice to start off that way. Um, and then I kind of uh, didn't really do much the rest of that season, and then 20 back end of 2013 started thinking, well, it'd be nice to go to Kona. You know, the, the questions you sort of get asked by non-triathletes are, uh, oh, you're a triathlete. Did you go to the Olympics? Oh no, no, that didn't happen for me. Did you go to Kona? Thought I should, I should probably be able to answer yes to that. So, uh, so I went on a Kona campaign um, and made a hideous mess of it, and ended up having to do two races in a week on different continents in order to qualify. Um, but I went. <laughs> and um, it, maybe talk us through. And actually, we'll go into Kona later on. Um, in, t- right, in terms of, of Ironman Vici. Um, it looked you went eight seventeen, which is a uh, fantastic time, and I believe it was a, a course record. But you know, I haven't seen much written up about the race. But when I look at the results, your swim was fifty twenty four, and the guy who got second swim was fifty twenty five. Your bike ride was one uh, was ten seconds slower than his, uh, and then your run was two fifty one oh four versus his two fifty one forty one. So you ended up beating him by uh, just over uh just just over one minute so tell us about the race because we haven't really seen anything written about it but obviously you you look like you're going head to head the whole way through with him and the guy who was in uh in third place as well um yeah so because i'm I'm qualified for kona for this year so Hmm. i've entered this race thinking if i miss the kona cutoff i'm going to want a race to do and i'm going to want to think about next year um and with the with the Ironman start list, you've got to be entered. I can't remember what it is, uh, eight weeks in advance or something like that. So I put my name down for it. Uh, and then last week, I was really in in two minds about whether I was going to go. Is this going to burn my legs out for Kona? Um, is it sensible to do the travelling when I've got the big race in five weeks? Um, and I sort of looked at the start list and knew that a few of the guys weren't going to turn up. And 
thought, I'm in good shape. I've had a really good block of training. I'm really fit. If I go and use it as a hard swim bike session and it's not looking good, I'll, I'll just pull on the run. Um, and that was kind of a different way of racing for me that normally you're there hanging on for dear life to some guys at the front who are absolutely hammering it and thinking, I just need to hold this together and I need, if I get a top five, then it's going to help for points or, you know, I'm going to pay some bills if I can, if I can sneak onto a podium. Um, but I turned up in Vici and the swim wasn't super quick. You know, I was thinking I could go around and, and push this on a bit, but there's a group of three of us and I don't really want a group of two of us for the bike. Um, got out onto the bike and uh, Ivan, the Italian guy, was, was pulling some good turns and then I'd go, I'd go around and would sort of take seven or eight minutes each with the other one dropping back 12 meters and the um the belgium lab was was coming through a little bit but uh yeah didn't didn't really have too much to help with so we tried to drop him towards the end but but didn't quite get rid of him and then me and me and ivan headed out on the run together and um i raced with him at world student games i think he was third in 2006 that was kind of the last time i saw him so i knew he could run a little bit um but he took took it on and I think we ran through 10K in like 36.30 or something. And uh, I was kind of just sitting on his shoulder going, do you really want to do this? We're both going to blow up here. I, I know I know I'm going to blow up. It's just which one of us is going to blow up first. Mm. Um, and, and he kept going. So he ran me through sort of 15K at a real solid pace. Um, I guess we went through our half marathon in kind of 120-ish. And then, um, and then he just absolutely hit a wall. I didn't want to take it on. I kept, I kept going behind him because I didn't want to be doing a solo off the front for, for kind of, for 25k. Um, but he'd stopped, so, so I had to take it on. And then I, I started getting tired at maybe 30k. And the, uh, the Belgium guy was, was clawing back. Um, but I got to 35k, and someone told me I had four minutes. And, and obviously with Kona coming up, I didn't want to push any harder than I needed to. So. I was able to kind of back off at 35, 36k and, and, you know, celebrate with the crowd a little bit and enjoy winning a race and, and know that, know that I was safe. So, um, in terms of, you know, stacking this race up against, um, other Ironman races, is this your, your best race ever or was it, um, yeah, where, where does it sort of rank for you? I don't know. I've been thinking about this. It's, it's kind of strange when, when you win something i've found that when i've won races it's not it's never been as hard as, as getting dropped you know you're 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 the one who's in control you're still okay when other people are are above the line and then it's not it's nowhere near as painful so i raced bolton um what would that be kind of two months ago and uh two of us got away in the swim uh, i got dropped at the start of the bike so i was on a solo effort all on my own until about 100k when four guys came through me absolutely hammering on a big attack and I hung on for a little bit and got dropped and then I was absolutely blown and had to run a marathon and was seeing stars and struggling to lift my legs up but in Vici I was kind of in control on the swim in control on the bike in control until about 30k on the run so there's almost like a little bit of an anti-climax like it wasn't that hard like it's not as hard as getting my head kicked in in a race um mm. But I guess I guess that's kind of nice to be in control for an Ironman, and that only happens when nothing goes wrong and you're really fit and you're in good shape. Have you had much um, kudos from it? You know, there's a lot of Ironman races on around the world now. Um, so, what's sort of the the reception been for you? Um, I got back from France uh, the day before yesterday and got back in the swimming pool and sort of cracked on. Really, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I've added myself a few Twitter followers. I've got some likes on Facebook. Um, the girl on the reception of the swimming pool said, well done to me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> You've made it. it and, um, okay, so, and, and how much has it taken out of you? You, you, you know, you said you, you had it under control a bit there towards the end, but, you know, uh, how are you sort of feeling with regards to, to cone preparation and whether this has been a help or a hindrance? I'm not going to know until uh, until Kona, I guess. Um, yeah. I raced a 70.3 in, in Dublin a couple of weeks ago, and I had to run really hard there. And over a, over a half marathon, I think I, I ran 115 for my half, and it was kind of flat, tarmac roads, and I really trashed my legs. Um, and i just come back from, from an altitude training camp, and we'd been up a mountain for five weeks. And for 10 days after that, I was, I was really a mess. I, I tried to go and do some sessions, and... Three or four times, I ended up walking back from my run because I just couldn't run anymore. Um, but I don't feel like that this time. Um, I think probably having got that block out, and you know, I was never running as fast as I was in Dublin, so I don't think you do quite as much damage. Um, and I'm a big believer in being able to to sort of spin it off. So I've just done cafe rides and easy jogs, and yeah, I feel alright. I was I was swimming sort of one sixes, one sevens in the pool this morning, so I don't feel too bad. Very good. So, so Kona, first time around, um, how was it for you? Um, I'd done, like, as I said, I'd done a lot to get there. I told sponsors I was going, and and then I crashed my bike in Nice and uh, took four of foot, the edge of four of my vertebrae off and kind of thought it wasn't going to happen um, and then realized that I wasn't too bad and I might be able to get a race done. So I went to Ironman Sweden um, and got, got a top five there. And we're then looking at the points and going, no, I'm not going to qualify off that. But there is an Ironman in Japan and, and it is on Saturday. So let's book a flight and go to Japan. Yeah. Um, and that was the final day of qualifying. So I was I was well raced out. I kind of been injured and then I'd done back-to-back races and turned up in Kona. And it's just an experience. I haven't been to something like that before. When you go out for your easy jog in the morning and there's a bunch of people just staring at you going, that pro doesn't look like he's running running very fast. <laughs> you, you, you get out on the Queen K and people are coming past, taking pictures in cars, and yeah, people want to do interviews and stuff. And uh, I just kind of found it hot and humid and busy and hard, and yeah. <laughs> and I blew my doors off. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to going back, knowing what to expect, and maybe trying to be a bit more clever about it, and and going to race rather than to survive. And um, a lot of our listeners sort of ask uh, ask us to ask pros like yourself who perhaps are not uh, not quite ready to knock on the door of the podium or anything like that in Kona. You know why go there when it's a it's a massive ex- expense. You know obviously you, you said you know lots of people ask you you know have you done Kona so you of course got to go over there and and, and and at least do it. But but what's the motivation for you to actually be over there when the, you know the, the, to get a paycheck in Kona is bloody difficult. Yeah, but I mean, trying to be a professional athlete, you can make money off Kona without without having won prize money there. Um, you know, if you're if you're talking to sponsors, if you're talking to people who might support you, if you're giving business talks, the fact that you went to the World Championships and you delivered a, a performance at the World Championships, you know, if you can say you're twentieth in the world, that's still that's still got a value to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and people race for a podium in Kona, so. If you get it right and you're not one of the top five, top six athletes, I think you can still be in the top ten. Hmm. 
you know, and a top ten at the World Championships for me, I'd be stoked for that. You know, that would be a fantastic result. You know, for a guy who got told to go home because he couldn't run fast enough, if I can turn up to the Ironman World Championships and finish in the top ten, I can, I can say, well, I wasn't messing about, mum. It was a job. Mm-hmm. How did how did you feel when Brett Sutton said that to you? Oh, like the bottom dropped out of my world. I, I thought I was yeah. nailing it. I was this kind of kid who thought he was come, coming good and he was going to go to the Olympics. Um, but the guy was right. You know, he was he was always a realist about about where you were in sport. And he sort of said to me, look, if you go and work in a bike shop, you're not going to be happy. Um, and you've got an opportunity to go and have another career. Why don't you take that? And at the time, at the time, it felt like someone had kicked me in the nuts. But... Um, <laughs> Looking back on it, it's stuff like that that sort of makes your career because you have to go away and think, look, do I really want to do this? And if I do, how am I going to do it? Rather than just kind of bubbling through, like maybe maybe one of the problems with funded programs, you know, kids come onto the program and they just kind of sit there and go, well, I'm picking up a paycheck and I'm not really going anywhere, but this is fine because I'm getting by. Mm. But yeah, he, he made me really think, what are you doing and why are you doing it? What is it like for you UK athletes now? You've talked about sponsors and stuff a bit there, and and when we've talked to, you know, pros based in America, whether they be Americans or they be um, Aussies, have sort of mentioned similar things to yourself in terms of you can do well out of endorsements if you pull up some some good results, and as you said, if you get a you know a result in Kona, then then that's going to be really well received, and you're getting matching payments for um for top fives, podiums, etc. But that's sort of the US based market. Um, what is it like for you guys in the UK in terms of um, getting reasonable sponsorship deals and actually trying to make a living out of this? Because we know that you know, getting fifth place at an Ironman is uh, is not going to endow you with a, a huge amount of funds. Yeah, it's not going to pay the expenses with most of them. Um, no. There's, I mean, there's not a huge amount. And if I was a big company who had a big budget to spend and wanted to support British-based triathletes, I'd go and talk to Alistair and Jonathan's agent because you're getting more coverage out of that than anything else. Hmm. Um but if you want to sponsor a Brownlee, it's going to be very expensive and you're going to get a limited amount of their time. Mm. And they've almost kind of pulled the market up that because they're at that top level, there needs to be a level underneath that. You know, the, they've got, let's say, uh, Adidas for shoes. So that's taken. But if another shoe brand wants to be involved in triathlon, they need to find someone underneath that who they can, who they can support so that they've got a presence. And I guess... If you're trying to make a living as a long-distance athlete, if you're not in a funded program, it's about really thinking, how, how do I add value to a sponsor? How do I make sure that there's a business return on, on them giving me cash? Um, and I don't think a lot of people think about that. And I try and think of that as much as I can. And some years I've done lousy, and some years I've done okay. And, and at the moment, I'm lucky to have a couple of really good sponsors who... I'd like to think I add value to their brand, um, but it's not just racing. You know, it's going and doing staff training, it's doing talks, it's like writing training schedules for uh, employees, it's it's kind of doing health and fitness and lifestyle, and promoting the brand and and kind of trying to think a bit more than just getting some results. Mm. But obviously, winning an Ironman helps. So when I saw Vici and thought that's a race I could win, as part of putting together a package of being being useful for a brand that was worth doing 
Awesome. So what's the what's the radar looking like for you for the um, for the coming years? You know, you've got Kona in a few weeks' time, but what are your what are your sort of medium to, to long term aspirations, or is it a case of starting to put that uh, law degree to, to use at some stage soon? Um, well, so I did the law degree and then I, I passed the bar, uh, and in England that's valid for five years. So uh, if I don't use that bit of paper in the next five years, um, I've got to go back and start again, which uh, which wouldn't be the end of the world. But uh, it's kind of a nice position to be in. But there was a stage, I guess, pre, um, pre-Olympics when I was trying to do the domestic thing you know, back in 2010, 2011, where I was really scraping to get by and I couldn't really justify what I was doing. And there was a bit in the back of my head going, you can't really afford to be doing this. You're not going to be able to pay a mortgage like this. There's no way you're going to be able to have a family living this lifestyle. Um, And that kind of got to me. Like it affected my training because I was worrying about whether I was doing the right thing and whether it made sense and whether I could justify it to myself or anyone else. Um, But now I've got another career that I can go into. I know that I don't have to be doing this. Now, if it doesn't make sense, if I'm not enjoying it, I can stop tomorrow and go and do something else and I will be able to pay a mortgage. And that's, that's worked really well for me as an athlete. You know, actually doing the law degree and passing the bar has been a good athletic thing because it means I'm more relaxed about it and I can do the training that I need to do rather than kind of panicking that I've got to jam stuff in. Otherwise, I'm not going to be good enough or I'm not going to be able to, well, literally eat tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the moment, I'm improving and I'm racing well and I'm learning about the sport and I genuinely think if I get it right, I could go to Kona and finish in the top 10. Then I need to sit down and think about it. If, if I went and got a top 10 and went, you know what, Harry, I don't think you could have done anything else. That's as good as you are. Then I probably wouldn't chase it again next year to go to Kona to finish 12th or 13th when you finished in the top 10 and know that that's about your level. I probably don't need to do that. I can probably go and look for some other races and enjoy a year of doing uh, doing other stuff, you know, some of the iconic triathlon races, and then maybe think about moving on. Mm. But if I go to Kona and finish top 10 and go, there's 10 things that you did really badly there, and if you put that together correctly, you could be top five at the World Championships. And this is a sensible living, and, you know, I love it. I go out and ride my bike for a job. I get up in the morning and I go for a swim and I come home and have my breakfast and I go and meet the boys out on the road and we go for a ride and we shoot the shit and I get paid for it. How cool is that? Nice. Um, is uh, leading the swim out a motivator for you and Kona? You know, Dylan McNeese isn't going this year, but so it's probably going to be Frodo um, smashing it up the front and trying to smash anybody who swims next to him uh, along with um, maybe pots and stuff. Is, is that a motivator for you to try to, to lead out the swim? I kind of figure Potts is on a big-ass bonus for leading that swim out. Yeah. Um, and if I get level with him with 200 meters to go, he's going to put me away pretty comfortably. Yeah. So, you know, it'd be cool to lead out the swim in Kona, but I, I assume he's got a lot of money on it. And, uh, you know, the standard he's swum at, if he's, if he's getting a big pay, pay, paycheck for it, I'm not, I'm not going to swim away from him. I'm not going to gap him for a couple of minutes. Like, I might be on his, on his hip. Yeah, it's probably slightly poor form to get on someone's hip and try and sprint them to take away their bonus if they've led the swim. So nice. you know, if it 
if it came, it would be cool. But I kind of feel there's a bit of an etiquette to it. Like the chances are Potts is going to get on the front and lead that swim and he's in the race. And he doesn't want some scrote who's going for a top 10 to come round him and try and put him away just so that they can smile at the camera. Yeah, yeah. So, very good attitude. Yeah, I, I think I need to be a bit, yeah, you don't, you don't really want to get into that. But hey, if I'm on the front and I'm leading it and I'm pulling turns, then I'll go for a lead out. Yeah, fantastic. So if people want to follow you or and if you've got any um, sponsors you want to plug or anything like that, now, now's your chance because, uh, yeah, it's been a great interview and I've enjoyed everything you've said. So, so how can people follow you and if you've got anything you want to plug, go far away. Right, yeah. Um, so at Harry Wiltshire on Twitter, I think I'm about 50 followers short of 3,000. So go on, nice. hit me up. Yeah. Um, I'll try and get I'll get a prize we'll find something for the 3,000th follower so uh, so if people can follow that would be great um, Triathlon Guard which is a UK uh, insurance company have they've kind of changed the last couple of years for me I've been their, their ambassador and, and their support has just made life so much easier um, when I've had you know, when I crashed in Nice I had a new bike within a week I had a new set of kit everything was sorted out and nothing's too much trouble and, and that's a service that you can buy if you're in the UK so I coach an athlete who did the same, wrote off his bike two weeks ago. He wants to race again in a week. He's got a brand new Scott Plasma ready to go. So um, so Triathlon Guard have been amazing to me. Hoob have been fantastic over the years. Um, I first did stuff with Dean Jackson when it was just him in his shed, um, kind of scratching his head going, uh, I'm not with Blue 70 anymore. What am I going to do? And now he's got a multinational company, which is uh, which is nailing it, which is, which is fantastic. And uh, and sketches helped me out as well, so they're kind of the big the big three supporters. Great, awesome. Okay, we'll look forward to. We're going to be in Kona, so we'll look forward to cheering you from the sidelines and seeing you uh, hopefully ripping it up when you go up Palani on both the bike and, and halfway into the run. So all the best with your race, and uh, hopefully those legs recover in time. Fingers crossed. I look forward to meeting you. Great. Okay, we are back, John. So you didn't talk about Dirty Harry stuff. No, I didn't, and I kind of did that intentionally. Yep. And when we actually finished the interview, he said, you're the first guy who hasn't asked me about beating up Gobies. <laughs> and uh, he was appreciative of that. I just I didn't bother because I thought, you know what, it was probably just a brain, brain explosion. So if you didn't, if you don't know about it, he basically um, was in a, in, in a draft legal race and he was a teammate of Brownlee's and he put the smack on uh, Gomez in the swim and really tried to swim him out of the sort of positions. Uh, and uh, he, yeah. What well, wasn't a good look, and I just think it was he made a mistake. I'm and sure he was he young and stupid, and yeah. it, it is that whole thing. I remember like Hayden Rolston's a really famous New Zealand cyclist, and when he was like nineteen, he got into a fight at a bar, and seriously, for the rest of his career, up until probably the last quarter of his career, he was always labelled as this bad boy of the sport. And Hayden, if you've met him, the nicest guy, really cool, down to earth, and made mm. a mistake when he was a teenager, which. You know, if you went in the public eye, many people make mistakes when they're teenagers. And sometimes, and, and you know, we're guilty of this because we definitely went down the Dirty Harry route when it was there. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, sometimes we need to let go of things, don't we? Yeah. Okay, okay, John Bo, Coaches Corner. So John's doing his, his study right now. He's starting to become a nutritionist. And he, how far into it are you now? Second year? One of my second second year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's just a, it's a bit of a slow process, um, but one of the papers, one of the topics I'm doing is is micronutrients, and uh, as I said in the intro, I've got the current project I've got to do is I've got to 
do a very, very quick review on seven research papers relating to some micronutrient and how that impacts health. And I've managed to wangle it so I could actually uh, incorporate it into some triathlon study as well. And this particular study that I looked at was called uh, Increased Running Speed and Previous Cramps Rather Than Dehydration or Serum Sodium Changes Predict Exercise Associated Muscle Cramping. It was by a guy called Martin Swellens uh, and a few others. And he's from, I think it was... uh, Uh, Cape Town University, which is where Tim Noakes is based. So they've Mm. done quite a lot of uh, research in in areas like cramping, like hyponatremia. Um, And so they've they've got some great research out there. The um, the sports science guys, they, they went there as well. Absolutely, yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah. Very, very, and they've done some studies there the on both triathlon yeah, and uh, and also long distance running. So I'll, I'll go over this pretty quickly because it's not actually giving us any uh, amazing answers on what we should be doing. It's just some, some observations. So they had um, 399 athletes that consented to do the study. It was done at Ironman South Africa. Uh, the, the study was in 2010. I can't actually remember what year the, the race was in, but it was probably 20, 2009 or 2008. Um, what they did is they took pre-race samples, um, weight, and did a questionnaire. The information they collected in the questionnaire was pretty thorough, uh, sort of obviously your demographics, previous participation in, in events, and personal best times, the training they did for the 15 weeks before that, whether they did flexibility training and, and how much of it, um, family history of cramping, and also their personal history of cramping, anticipated fluid, fluid intake during the event, um, obviously all the medical information and previous history of cramping, any flu-like symptoms and any medication or supplements they were on. And then post-race, they took blood samples, um, changes in weight, and then a questionnaire based on whether they cramped or not and the severity of those cramps. In terms of the the race day, it was 20 degrees, so nothing too extreme, wasn't sort of Kona conditions. Um, And of the 274 athletes that responded to the post-race questionnaire, I think they ended up with about 210 people that were valid for the study. Uh, 62 of them experienced cramps during or after the event. And the key finding from this uh, study was there is no relationship between serum electrolyte disturbances or dehydration and the development of cramps in Ironman triathlon. So I guess that's the take home is there was really no difference um, whether you had um, you know, there was no change in your sodium in your body or if you were dehydrated and whether you cramped. The, the, the key risk factors of whether people cramped or not was kind of if you were an aggressive racer, that was a very strong sign that you were going to um, – could cramp and whether or not you um, – Oh, I've lost it, Bevan, here. So overall, f- faster race times were predicted faster race times. So let's say Bevan and I were lining up and we'd done the same sort of training. We we're in roughly the same sort of shape. And if I predicted a fast race time and went out aggressively after it, um, but we kind of end up with the same finish time, there's a much higher chance that I would cramp as opposed to Bevan. So it's what it's really saying is the aggressive races and the faster races um, were much more highly likely to cramp. And the other key finding out of this was if you'd cr- this kind of sounds a bit silly, but if you'd cramped in the past, there was a much higher chance that you were going to cramp uh, again in this race. So those were the two key findings. Um, so, yeah, what it's really saying to us is that sodium intake is uh, is not going to do much for you. And just a couple of little um, stats for people. 
So in terms of the sodium measurements they took, uh, for the, the group that didn't cramp, their sodium readings before the race were 139.8 millimoles and then after the race which was kind of interesting for me was their sodium levels actually increased ever so slightly uh it was a 0.4 of a percent change but it actually went up Mm. in the group that uh that did cramp their pre-race sodium levels was 139.8 millimoles and afterwards it was 139.6 millimoles so it was a 0.1 of a percent decrease which is not statistically no. significant so um, weight changes this is something else they sort of monitored um, in the cramping group there was a 3.1 percent decrease in weight so average weight went from 76.7 kgs to 73.9 and in the cramping group it went from 78.1 kilograms to 74.9 kilograms so there was a 2.8 percent decrease so the differences there was the relative weight change was 3.1 percent versus 2.8 percent so yeah overall what it's saying is uh electrolytes sodium stuff like that uh, it's not related to cramp. And it kind of reinforces stuff we've talked about in the past, you know, this whole idea of that actually the biggest limiter for cramping is how you are training in regards to the intensity that you are racing. And, yep. and ultimately you want to be able to figure that out and practice that as much as possible so that when I go into race-like conditions, and probably racing, you know, and it's one of the biggest problems for triathletes who do the long course is that our lack of racing time means we don't condition our body to the type of racing we're going to do. And, you know, because how often can you do a long course race? And that's where doing things like running racing, cycle races, maybe swim racing, not so much, but to doing those high level intensity workouts, which you can only get kind of when you're racing, is really important. But also sticking to a race plan, you know, using your tools to actually stay within limits that are actually realistic based on your training is really important, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and you know, Going out and doing some long sessions at race intensity, or just to, or a fraction above race intensity, uh, because yeah, you know, how many people actually go out and ride 180k's <clears throat> at race intensity very often? No, yeah, not not a lot. So you need to be going out there in your training sessions and putting in big long race intensity efforts. So going and riding 100 miles, do a short warm up and ride 100 miles at race effort. Now, I'm not for one moment saying you need to do that every week, but uh, you need to do you know some big, long efforts uh, several times during your build-up. So often I, I get athletes to do, you know, during their build-up, doing you know, three simulation sessions of at least half, half Ironman distance and doing it at race intensity, including four hour, you know, a couple of sessions where they'll include a four-hour block at race intensity um, on the bike or, or just a bit above that. So if you're, say, targeting you know, 175 watts um, to do your Ironman race, you know, maybe riding at 180 for four hours um, or something like that. So, yeah, race do, doing lots of race intensity work is important. And, and as Bevan said, doing, making sure you've got some racing in there is, uh, is critical as well. So, well, I, I think um, the other thing as well is just in regards to, you know, because one of the downfalls is how do you practice the intensity of the last part of an Ironman? Because it's more I'm trying to race while I'm absolutely fatigued. But I think the real key factor is to not go too hard early in your race so that, you know, that in that mm. moment, you know, it's the biggest problem is, and, and this is for most people who do Ironman, is that they just, the first two thirds, the first three quarters of the race have just gone too hard. And hence that cramp factor comes in that last kind of quarter of the race. Whereas if you are to be a little bit wiser in those first kind of main part of the race, then you're still going to be tired and you're still going to be fatigued, but you maybe wouldn't have got to that point where cramp would be a problem. 
Absolutely. Okay, Jumbo, we'll flag the uh, my first try because I know you're running out of time. So, sponsor. Extreme endurance. Positive words, John. Positive words you've got written here. Yeah, I have because um, I want to bring up the extreme endurance. I've got the bunch of apparel um, on the website. They've got T-shirts. I've got some cool singlets. So if you're looking for some uh, apparel, go and check it out. And and the, what I like about this, so I was at a soccer tournament all weekend, uh, not all weekend, all, all day Sunday. It was an epic day. My kid, the kids played six games of soccer wow. with, uh, at 30 minutes each. They were out on their feet at the end. And uh, <laughs> I'll maybe explain a bit more of that later. But one thing that frustrates the shit out of me is um, – when you hear parents and, and coaches and stuff saying, don't do this, don't do that, you know, don't go over that side of the field. And um, it's, it's, it's often, you know, we, we know that you're using positive words like stay up or, you know, yeah. when you're in a running race, you know, so don't slow down, you know, tell people to keep your pace going or speed yeah. up. You know, using positive words is massively important because if you tell someone to don't slow down, they're going to think, they're going to hear slow down and they're just going to be focusing on yeah, they, they're going to focus on the negative. And that's what's cool about some of the extreme endurance stuff is, uh, you know, so on, on some of their tops, they've got like stay strong, lift, um, uh, and, and things like that. So it's just that their, their apparel is just one way you can support them. They've, they've been a long time supporter of the show, and uh, it's cool stuff. They've got some cool t shirts, cheapest, yeah. cheapest chips to get. And, their hats uh, are cool, man. Cool their hats are really cool. The camo hat and the black hat, they are cool hats, man. Hmm. Yeah. So got um yeah, so so check it out. If you need some apparel, check it out. Use the promo code IMTalk ten when you're going and getting anything off uh, xinsurance.com or off the, the European websites and get a ten percent discount. So check it out, look good as well as feel good and make your legs recover fast. Chuck a t shirt in when you order some some good supplements, guys. So xendurance.com, you know the story, and you can go to their apparel page, they've got both female and male clothes. And they're all looking very, very cool. It's so very. And good. they've got the the, the double ended water bottle. I haven't actually got one. I have to get them to send me one of these. It's got a obviously got your spin off uh, lid at the top, but it's also got a spin off thing at the bottom. And what do you do with the bottom? Is it just the big? Well, then you don't get if you, if you end up having anything getting sort of stuck down the bottom there, then you you know you can make sure it's clean. You don't have to get that brush to get all the way down the bottom and munch up your hand when you're trying to clean it. You take it off the bottom and give it a nice good clean, and you're away. Oh, clean water bottle, they call it, John. There you go. Mm. So you'll be a happy man. The clean water bottle. Okay, guys, uh, questions and answers. Just Richard Swan sent through. One he's got. <coughs> Excuse me. Dying. Oh, it's okay. I'll be, you, right. I'll be right. You'll be all right. Got, yeah, go. If you're searching for material, I'm wondering, what I want to know is what is the top marathon runner runs? Or the, the top marathon runner runs about. 204, 205 basically in marathon running right now. The Ironman equivalent is Kona, and Kona is around 245, which is about 25% faster. So the top marathon runner in the world is running about 25% faster than the top runner in the world championships. What I want to know is, what is the top Tour de France rider would ride 180k for a silo, either TT or on a road bike, and see what the difference would be of the Ironman riders who are generally around about that 430 mark, or well, probably more about 420 at Kona, wouldn't it be? The top, top guys? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we just want to see if that percentage difference. So I suppose the question is, does anybody know what a top Tour de France rider would do for a solo TT or road bike 180k? 
So I don't think you're going to find a top tour to any stats on the top tour de France rider. But I think the question we want to try to get is if you've got seen any stats or data on people, say, doing a 100-mile time trial. And there is a few nut bars, in, especially in the UK, who do that sort of thing. Like I remember Philip Graves yeah, did it. Yeah. Um, what, if you know of anybody that's got power numbers or anything like that, because looking at a tour de France stage is not going to tell us anything in terms of power out. No. It's going to be interesting to look at. But uh, and, and looking at a 40K time trial, might be some data on that. So if anybody's got any data on long course time trial riders by by top top dudes um yeah it'd be interesting to have a look and see how it compares to uh what the guys are pumping out in kona okay jumbo patrons. patrons okay we've got a couple of patrons here and we've got pete githens and he's got about me i was a former couch potato when often made the statement i don't run unless something is chasing me out and i'm out of bullets so it sounds like he's pretty crazy there then i realized i was getting a bit easy pretty easy and i was going to have a heart attack i was in my 40s overweight with a high stress job basically a stroke waiting in place to happen i started eating better and running or rather walking with a few brisk trots thrown in the first time i ran all the way around my neighborhood i thought it was pretty amazing and figured it would be about five miles the most disappointing day of endurance career was the day i got my Garmin to determine my five mile route was only 2.4 miles <laughs> <laughs> damn that's gold since then it's gone better faster and further accumulating in the competition of a very stormy 2014 sorry completion of the very stormy 2014 Ironman Lake Placid I was at the tail end of the swim that got uh, to finish the entire swim the swim was my biggest mental hurdle and I was so happy that I got to complete it otherwise I work in a typical corporate environment in a windowless office doing project management for a D, uh, R&D group at a software company. Aside from endurance sports, I spend my days hunting, fishing and camping with my wife. I enjoy writing and my chronicle my life adventures on my blog and his blog is pgiffins at .wordpress.com and I'll put a link to that on our show notes. And another one of our patrons, John, is Phil Stretch Alice. Full stretch. That's a, that's yep. a, that's a good one. with Phil is a handy little resource for anyone starting out in triathlons just like me. Feel free to follow my training plans. I also run boot camp and open water swim training in my space. A spare time to drop me a line if either of it interests you, which is fitnesswithphil.com. So guys, these are just a couple of guys who have um, sent in their pictures and we've got all our patrons that have sent in pictures on imtalk.me and um, I asked people to write a little blurb and I'm just going to start grabbing some people's blurbs off there and reading them out on the show because as Bevan said, our patrons are a huge part of the show. Oh. It means it means we can get over to Kona every second year and do our, do our Kona shows over there and uh, make sure we, we keep pumping stuff out every week. So absolutely appreciate all you guys that uh, help out on the patron of, of the show. Plus, you guys go on the draw to be uh, in Kona every second year, and also guys that are coming in at just ten bucks a month will get an awesome I Am Talk cap, um, swim cap, and then uh, guys that come in and really lift the bar and go twenty bucks a month, then they get a cap plus uh, icebreaker um, merino I Am Talk beanie. So yep, so guys, and, and for those who are patrons, and guys, it really does make a difference. So just thank you to everybody who is a patron of the show. Okay, Jumbo, quickly, sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Galactic buffer. And, and the uh, patrons. patrons. Okay, Jumbo, so the big question is, what's your goss? You know, you, you're surviving, the kids are doing great, you know, you, you keep it on top of things. Yep, it's just, uh, you know. You got a full on, you know, I've got, I've got limited spare time as it is. Um, but when you throw in looking after kids, it means each day's pretty long and full on. I'm not getting as much done as I would like, but that's just part of life. And uh, I just got to suck it up. Um, what, we did go to a sock tournament at the weekend. 
And uh, my Smiler boys' little soccer team, they're not the greatest, they're not the worst, um, but this was a pretty competitive competition we went to. It was like a 32-team competition. I think all the other clubs kind of sent along their best teams. Yeah. So it took a bit of a pound. <laughs> okay. uh, and our, it was t- groups of four, and we lost our first three games in our group, um, some of them pretty convincingly. And uh, and then we went off, and then you sort of play off for all your different positions. We lost our next game, and then... Uh, then we find, then we played um, another team from our club who had beaten us uh, every time we'd played them this season. Went to two-two, and it was a draw at the end, so it went to penalty shootouts. Oh, really? <laughs> and Thomas likes his goalkeeping, and so he went in there and uh, and so in penalty shootouts. If you're not familiar with soccer or football, uh, it's best of five, so um, one for one, and. Uh, and Thomas went in there and he saved, I can't remember, it was three or four in a row. Oh, wow. He was just so pumped. And, the, uh, and we got all of our goals in and Thomas just saved every single one. Oh, that's time. pretty cool. He was pumped. So that was our only game we won. And then we went off to play off for uh, 29th and 30th place. <laughs> and we lost that one. And so we, we got uh, 30th out of 32. But that made the whole day was uh, Thomas saving, saving it, basically having a, white, a, a block out and, and penalty shootouts. Oh, it was a lot gold. of fun. <laughs> uh, when did the girls get back? They get back on Friday. So today's Tuesday, so they're more or less away for, uh, for nearly two weeks. Mm. We call, I'm calling it two weeks. They're calling it whatever they're calling it. They look like they're having a blast. They're, they're putting lots of photos up on Facebook, and it looks like they're having a, a very good time. So, yes. And again, Even, you're going to be working for another 10 years. That's all I'm saying. What's happening in your world? i tell you what I did do on the weekend, John, is I did a, a – you know how I do that epic half marathon that, mm. that we do for our, for our running business? Well, I kind of ran it myself on Friday, and I tried to run it as much race-like as you could like yourself. And i tell you what, it was – pretty bloody hard and uh running up Soleras after doing 18ks up and down those hills was pretty challenging but it was kind of just as a side note you know that whole kind of where do you put yourself when you're dying and it was really interesting because I was kind of starting to die going up Soleras it's it's 1.2k of, of a pretty steep gradient and there's no pretty steep bloody steep I biked down there the other day and we were talking about the top speeds and I wasn't even trying and I think I got uh 88 k's now coming down there. Yeah, yeah, she's she's very steep. And the thing about it is, it's pretty relentless because there's only really one section, like a you know, there's only one section where it's not that steep. The rest of it's actually pretty steep the whole way. So, um, you know, and, and I ran a really good run. Like I ran really well in the first half going uphill, and I smashed the downhill. And then I got to there, and actually when I got to the bottom of Solaris, both my calves just kind of blew out, and I managed only had a k to go, so I was fine. But, um, but just that whole thing of where do you go when you the potential to give up and one thing I did and it's just a good question to always use is put the question of what's the max I can do right now just and I kind of use that as my affirmation running up that hill and it really helped me just kind of sit on the edge of what was the most that I could possibly push in that moment so if you are someone who's doing those hard workouts and you're looking for a kind of a mind focus that was definitely something that really helped me a lot um other than that John um, I've got Bevan I've got your next challenge because I was thinking this Ultraman uh, no, I'm not, I'm not doing an Ultraman. I'm out. Well, I've, I've come up with <laughs> a Kiwi. Out. I've come up with a Kiwi Ultraman. I, I was I was uh, procrastinating yesterday. I was trying to have a just a couple. You of do not break. have time to procrastinate right now, John. I I know, but um, because I looked, I, I saw there's a Decker. There was a Decker in the UK, and they do they do they're doing it at Eton Dorney, which is where they had the Olympic rowing regatta, and they have a lot of triathlons there, and it's basically like a four k circuit or something, and you yeah. just do it. 
bloody for 10 days you yeah. do uh, okay, you yeah. ride around and around and around this 4k circuit it looks boring as batshit and uh, but i thought i've got the the, the south island decaman uh, no south island ultraman which is a double triathlon would swim somewhere in christchurch yep you bike christchurch to, to hamner on day one which is 145 k's then second day you bike from hamner springs to kaiteri terry good solid challenging amazing part of the so country how long would lots that be? of hills that would be about that was about 320 k's okay and then day four you get the ferry up um the able tasman you run the able tasman track or most of it and then you run all the way through to nelson and that it's it's basically trails almost all the way now and that will give you a double marathon it would okay, be an well, amazing run course yeah and bike course. you do it next year and let me know how you go and i'll, I'll mm. give i'll pet you on the back yeah sounds good yeah I, yeah yeah i can't see that happening that, that soon i like the idea i like the course mm. can't see it happening that much you know just you know maybe not maybe not yeah. although no anyway okay guys uh so we'll be back <laughs> in we'll be back in the swing of things next week uh jumbo let's wrap it up i'm russ i'm endo train hard train smart kia kaha kia kaha <laughs>